Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. It's Friday the 13th tomorrow. Are you doing anything to celebrate? Or are you the type who stays inside and hopes nothing unlucky happens to you? I hope it's the former. Any excuse to have a mini spooky holiday outside of Halloween is reason enough to celebrate for me. So, tomorrow, give your black cats an extra scratch from me, since they too get the unfair treatment of being considered unlucky. Speaking of very bad luck, it seems the protagonist of our story tonight just can't catch a break. Tonight I have for you another story from talented author Velma Kelly, who previously brought us Shadow Man. Tonight I present another tale from Velma. This one is called Gravely Mistaken. I live with my younger sister, Rebecca, and it's just the two of us in our old childhood home. She often comes and goes without a word, so I don't always know when she's there. It's typical for us to communicate via text when asking about food needs, current location, etc. One evening, I'm home alone in the house, which has been the usual over the last few days. I pass my sister's room and notice the light on under her door, not wanting to disturb her by knocking just in case she was working her remote job. I went into my room to text her. But before I even had a chance to unlock my phone, I heard the loudest bang against our shared wall and then a hard thump on the floor. I ran over and tried opening her door but found it to be locked. I rapped hard on the door while still rattling the doorknob and asking if she was alright. Rebecca? Hearing nothing in response. Are you alright? I put my ear up to the door to hear if she was calling out while injured. All at once, the door banged and shook as if someone had attempted to break it down using a running start. I screamed, What the fuck? and flew back against the hallway, knocking down childhood photos that had been hanging on the wall behind me. Again, that eerie silence followed as I waited, unaware I was holding my breath. Then, a sound I never expected came from the other side, and so it took me several seconds to understand what I was hearing. Laughter. Deep, guttural laughter, which became increasingly louder until it was raspy and maniacal. I made a mad dash back to my room, slammed the door shut, and locked it. I snatched my phone off the nightstand and barricaded myself in the walk-in closet. Not even considering to call emergency services, I called my sister's mobile phone as I had originally intended, expecting to hear that horrific laughter as soon as the phone picked up. There was no hiding my shock when hey, sis. my dear sister answered on the second ring, sounding chipper as ever. Her demeanor changed, though, when she heard the sheer terror in my voice. She attempted to calm me, but I immediately went into hysterics as soon as she said she was on a road trip with her boyfriend and had been for the last ten days. 
The last thing I heard before passing out was my sister screaming to her boyfriend to contact our local police department. The police came and broke down our front door. They had started with my sister's room, breaking her door down as well. They found the place completely destroyed. Large furniture had been thrown around the room, creating gaping holes in the walls. The windows and mirrors had been shattered into tiny pieces. Her mattress and photos had been completely shredded, and the police investigation later concluded that the slashes had been made by some kind of animal. When they finally made it into my room and through the barricaded closet, they said I was pale and sweaty and my breathing was shallow. As the gurney pulled me through the hallway, I turned my head to see the results of what I'd heard just on the other side of a single door. The chaos inside was not surprising, but gutted me nonetheless. It took several weeks for me to truly process the events from that terrifying day. I had been rushed to the hospital where I was ordered fluids and a sedative due to the increased heart rate I was experiencing. I woke up to my sister, Rebecca, sitting at my bedside in the hospital room. She had booked a flight back home just as soon as she had finished alerting the police. It took detectives less than 48 hours to investigate the crime scene. They claimed an animal had broken in through the window which was their reason for the claw marks and the fact that the place was demolished, but nothing stolen. I asked them what kind of animal was capable of jumping into a second-story window and hopping right back out unscathed. One of the detectives claimed that mountain lions had been known to leap heights of up to 40 feet. When I brought up the laughter that I'd heard only moments before the banging and crashing began, The other detective said many animals have been known to sound like humans and cited foxes as an example. Well, which one was it then? I demanded. Or maybe it was a mountain lion and fox tag team. Has that ever been known to happen? I was practically screeching at this point, to my own chagrin. Making no effort to hide their annoyance. Both officers went into a long, condescending rant about the nature of investigations and that they were better equipped at making informed deductions. Sensing the rage forming in both my sister and myself, I diffused the situation by asking for their cards and politely walked them to the door. And just as I had finished thanking them for their efforts, I slammed the door on their faces before they were even able to utter a response. My sister and I sat at the kitchen table for many hours that evening, and we kept every single light on in the house. We still hadn't gone into that room yet. Neither of us had the energy to face the mayhem that lay inside. We both slept in my room that night, and every night for the following six weeks. During that time, we gradually cleaned up the room, as it had truly been demolished. Everything Rebecca owned was completely destroyed. The creature had even went so far as ripping the closet door clean off and obliterating every article of clothing down to the last sock. Needless to say, 
Rebecca was none too pleased to find she only had the clothes she'd taken with her on the backpacking trip she'd been on at the time. But she never complained. I could sense we were both feeling the same thing. Better to have been her things than her life. Little by little, the room was fixed up until it was completely barren of anything but spackled holes and scratches. Together, we painted the walls lilac and attached security bars to the room's only window. One night, tipsy after a few drinks, we devised a plan to build a fort in the room and stay up all night to see if it was really haunted like we thought. With the liquid courage burning in our chests, we set up camp and listened to music until drifting off to sleep. The next morning, we both woke up with an abundance of energy, despite the previous night's drinking. It was as if we had broken the spell the room had on us by facing our fears. That day, my sister ordered all new furniture and was back in her old room within a week. I went back to work and she went back to school, because the timing of the whole ordeal had occurred just at the beginning of her summer break and ceremoniously ended at the beginning of the fall semester. And after that, life returned to normal. We both went back to our old busy lives, but this time we communicated more often and made a point not to go days without seeing each other. We managed to get through the holidays together, which had become rather tough after the loss of our parents, cutting our already small family in half. It was New Year's Eve when my sister gushed about a study abroad program she had been interested in since her first year of college. I could tell she wasn't giving me her excitement at full force because she didn't want me to feel guilty if I felt apprehensive. Fortunately, I had an incredible poker face and easily hid the despair I initially felt after hearing her news. I convinced her that I would be perfectly fine on my own and that I was excited she would be taking advantage of such an incredible program. She went on to suggest that I shouldn't live at the house alone in her absence. Before I could protest, she continued to say that she had a friend from her school who was looking for off-campus housing just for the rest of the school year. I gave her a suspicious look. She laughed and reassured me that she wasn't suggesting it as a charity case for her friend or for me. She went on to explain that the woman was a junior, like her, and had been living on campus with the same roommate since her freshman year up until this last semester. Her friend's new roommate had proven to be very untidy and frequently brought random lovers back to their shared dorm at all hours of the night. Needless to say, this had been more than unpleasant for Rebecca's friend, Erin. Therefore, she decided to find off-campus housing that was a little bit more low-key. I hated to admit that I almost couldn't stand the thought of being alone in the house, but I also couldn't prevent Rebecca from following her dreams. It looked as if Aaron and I would be a good match, given our respective circumstances, so I eventually agreed to meet with her. Upon seeing her, I was immediately reminded of someone right out of the 50s, except instead of a poodle skirt, she wore black capris with her saddleback shoes. Erin sported a crisp, white button-up collared shirt, and her dirty blonde hair was pulled back into a sleek ponytail, giving you full view of her petite facial features and large, round eyes. 
The three of us sat at the dining room table, drinking coffee and eating biscuits, as we all got to know each other better. I learned that she was vegan and chose an out-of-state school to get away from her controlling parents, but was still pursuing an education in medicine to please them enough to keep paying her bills. By the time Aaron had left our house, I started to feel gradually more relaxed with the idea of having a roommate while my sister was gone, especially someone as good a fit like Aaron. And before I even knew what I was doing, I sent Aaron a text message stating that it would be great to have her move in, to which she responded in exclamation and agreed. Within a week, she and I had completed and notarized a lease agreement. And the day after Rebecca left for her study abroad trip to Mexico, Erin was completely moved into her old room. Our living experience became very natural and surprisingly pleasant. Erin spent majority of her time either at school or in her room studying. About once a week, she would come out into the kitchen and create a new vegan dish, always offering some for me to try. Although I was usually a carnivorous eater, I gladly tried her dishes and almost always found them to be quite tasty. This living arrangement had turned out to be just the solution to quell my superstitious fears and allow Rebecca the freedom to venture out into the world as she pleased. However, towards the end of March, I noticed that I hadn't seen much of Erin over the last two weeks and found myself missing her fresh and delicious recipes. I was pretty sure she was home, so I knocked on her door to see if she wanted to order some vegan takeout, as this was the extent of my knowledge in that area. After knocking, I waited several minutes, checking to see if I heard any movement from in the room. But I never heard a sound, and Aaron never came to the door. Shrugging it off, I went to the kitchen to pour a bowl of cereal, suddenly feeling too lazy to think up dinner for one. Walking back with my bowl of cornflakes, I noticed a light on under the door in Aaron's room. Immediately, I started to panic. That same sense of dread from last year came over me, and adrenaline began coursing through my body. Trying to focus on my breathing, I tentatively knocked on the door and huskily called out Aaron's name. Something moved quickly from one side to the other as I saw light shifting around under the door. Then I heard her whispering, and all I could think of was what happened last time I put my ear up to the door. Before I could form another thought, the door whipped open, and Aaron was standing in the doorway, holding her laptop and wearing headphones. What's up? She mouthed a little exasperatedly and made a motion with her eyes to the computer, cradled in one arm. I put a single hand up in defense and mouthed the words, I am so sorry, as I slowly backed away. She gave me a look that almost seemed frantic, but then she shot me a quick smile and quietly shut the door. I went to my room with my now soggy cereal and dumped it in the toilet. Feeling like a neurotic idiot... I took a sleeping pill and wrapped myself in about four blankets until I finally fell asleep. A couple of days later, I'm in the kitchen cooking up some ground beef to make spaghetti for dinner. Whenever I made this dish, I would usually set aside a portion of noodles and sauce for Aaron before I added in the meat. 
but because I hadn't seen her in a few days, I figured that I would mix it all in this time to make enough for the week. As the beef started to brown in the sizzling pan, I heard Rebecca's door open just down the hall. A little thrown off by the fact that she had been home all this time and for who knows how long, I called out that she was just in time for the only vegan recipe I knew how to make, which was something we frequently joked about. She didn't even acknowledge my statement, and I looked up to see she was now standing six feet away, staring directly at the skillet of greasy meat. She looked horrible, and that was truly being kind. Her eyes were extremely bloodshot and cradled by deep, dark bags. Her skin was sickly pale, like she hadn't been outside in months, and her lips seemed painfully chapped. For some reason, my first instinct was to get her some water, so I turned my back to her and retrieved a glass from the cupboard. When I turned back around, Erin was hastily dumping the partially cooked meat into a mixing bowl I had left on the counter. Shocked, I just stood there as she retreated back to her room with the bowl of beef in tow, never once taking her eyes off me until the door closed behind her. Completely stunned by the fact that she had taken the main ingredient of my meal, I became increasingly disturbed thinking about the idea that a devout vegan had chosen medium-rare ground beef for their dinner choice. Chalking it up to the pressures of school, I decided to send Rebecca an email to distract me and hopefully find out if she had heard anything new from Aaron. It was very difficult to contact Rebecca through text message or phone call while she was traversing Mexico. The program she had selected involved staying in rural areas that had limited internet service connection, which had been exactly the sort of experience my sister wanted. So, for the time being, I got used to communicating about every three days via email. Feeling a bit better about the situation once I'd put it all down in a message to Rebecca, I took a sleeping pill and went to bed. The next day, when I came home from work, I noticed a delivery had been made and was still sitting at our door, even though I knew that Aaron had definitely been home all day. It appeared to be a packaged icebox sent by a local butcher that had been rumored to sell exotic meats on the black market. I tried to lift the box, but there was no way in hell I was going to get that thing over the doorstep and up the staircase to the main floor. I checked the addressee information and was surprised to see it was addressed to Aaron. The word overnight had been stamped all over the box in red capital letters. Once inside, I cautiously walked up the stairs and approached Aaron's closed door. Lightly, I tapped on the door with my knuckles, but hardly waited five seconds before walking away towards the comfort of my own bedroom. I had only taken a couple steps when I heard the sound of the knob rattle and her door open. I froze in place as a wave of warm, stagnant air wafted into the hallway from the bedroom behind me. Unable to move forward, 
I slowly turned around. My body seemed to be working independent from my mind. In the doorway stood Aaron, and what a sight she was to behold. Her hair appeared wet, as if she'd just gone swimming, and it hung limply around her face. The shirt she was wearing was wrinkled and had stains all down the front. I hadn't been able to see her entire face due to all the hair covering it, but what I could see was utterly haunting. The bloodshot eyes from yesterday had gotten redder, but were now bulging out and unblinking. Her jaw was clenched and her lips seemed to be moving in and out of a tight grimace. We stared at each other for what seemed like an eternity. Then, by some miracle, my nervous system started to kick in and I mumbled something about her package before going back down the hallway to get to the front door. Aaron never clearly said anything to me when I was heading for the stairs, but I swear I heard a strained yell once I made it down the steps and out the front door. I called my boss, who I'd known for over a decade, and made up a story about getting into a fight with my roommate. My boss graciously offered her spare room until we worked things out, which I eagerly accepted and made plans to stay there for several days. On the fifth day away from home, I received a text message from Aaron. It was incredibly short and equally vague. Unwell. Going home. Valet. Although cryptic, I figured that she just wasn't feeling well and would be going back home to be cared for by her parents. Relieved that I would be able to return home without the risk of another strange encounter, I replied wishing her safe travels and got ready to return back to the house. By this time, I had already spoken with Rebecca. I left her several messages the night I left to stay with my boss and her family. Rebecca felt sure that this was all a result of the stress Aaron was under as a medical student, as it wasn't, by any means, an easy subject to study. Rebecca had comforted me by saying she would reach out to Aaron and make sure everything was okay. Before going home, I sent off a quick message to Rebecca saying that the Aaron issue had been resolved for the time being, and I didn't want her to worry about it any further. Coming back to the house after so many days away gave me mixed feelings. It seemed so bittersweet to be back at the place I'd lived my whole life, and up until a year ago, I had always considered to be safe and secure. I entered my childhood home and immediately noticed a weird smell. Going into the kitchen to investigate, I discovered all the produce Aaron had bought weeks ago was now rotting on the counter. I threw the food in the trash and took the putrid bag outside to the garbage cans. Once finished, I went to my room, took a sleeping pill, and laid across the bed. I didn't even bother getting under the covers before drifting off to sleep. That morning, I woke up and realized that I had slept for over 10 hours straight. 
Although I initially felt a little drowsy, I became energized once I inhaled two strong cups of coffee. Crinkling my nose, I noticed there was still a lingering odor in the air from the garbage I'd thrown out. Feeling motivated, I began to clean the whole house from top to bottom. By the time I'd finished, it was well into the night. Heading to bed, I walked past Aaron's room and noticed that same smell from earlier. I got down on all fours and sniffed around the bottom of her door until I gagged. The festering smell was emanating from inside the bedroom, and inhaling such a strong whiff nearly sent me into a cold sweat. I sat back on my haunches and fanned my face. Disgust turned into anger when I realized Aaron went out of town and had clearly not thought to tidy her room of any perishables before she left. I pulled the phone from my back pocket and began to compose a rage text about respect and common courtesy. Satisfied, I pressed send and got to my feet. But, just after I sent the message, there was a muffled but familiar pinging sound from the other side of the door. The cold sweat from moments before returned, and I felt my heart beat faster in my chest. Maybe she was planning to leave later tonight, or maybe she had forgotten something and came back for it. All the possibilities swam around in my mind until I gathered the courage to hit the call button on her contact number. The phone rang on my end, and at first, I didn't hear anything on the other side of the door. I hung up and tried again, muffling my noise so I could listen better for any other sounds. Then I heard it. A rough, vibrating noise and the sound of a muffled ringtone for an incoming call. My hands began to shake as I reached for the doorknob, wishing more than anything that the room was locked, thus ending any further intervention on my part. To my dismay, the door was unlocked and glided open easily. That smell hit me again, but this time was so strong it brought tears to my eyes. I called out for Aaron before taking a few steps into the room. Looking at the space, I was astonished to see the state of my younger sister's old bedroom. The window had been covered with newspaper, and there was writing all over the lilac walls Rebecca and I had painted together. All of the writing was illegible in the dark, but the demonic drawings were a bit easier to see. I looked around and noticed the floor was covered in the same substance used to write on the walls. My phone lit up and I saw that Rebecca had sent me a message, demanding I call her right away. I exited her message and pressed the call button again on Aaron's contact. Once the buzzing started, I knew instantly she was in the closet. Not wanting to spend another second in the room, 
I briskly walked over to the closet door and opened it to face the waking nightmare I found myself in. At first, I could only make out piles of dirty clothes and shoes in the shadowy closet. But it didn't take long for my eyes to adjust and see the slivers of white poking out in the darkness. I dug through the articles of clothing until I could see her face more clearly in the dim light. Her eyelids were frozen wide open, and her mouth was agape as if in mid-scream. To my horror, I realized her cell phone had been lodged down her throat so only a portion of the device was visible from between her broken teeth. I hardly had time to register the phone ringing in my hand before I began to scream uncontrollably. And just before I collapsed on the floor of the sticky room, I heard Rebecca's muffled cries from the other end of the line. Waking up, I was relieved to find the familiar sight of Rebecca, sitting at my bedside in the hospital room, just as before, wondering if I had simply dreamt up the last nine months. I looked towards Rebecca for an explanation. We gotta stop meeting up like this, sis. She tells me with a smile. She starts by explaining how she had figured out something was deeply wrong with Aaron. Rebecca said that after messaging her to check in, she received a reply that was pretty out of character for Aaron, even under a lot of stress. Iternum vale, was all the message said. Sounding familiar, Rebecca searched the words online and lost her shit when she learned that it was an old Latin phrase which translated into English as farewell forever. Rebecca immediately alerted the police once the phone disconnected after I had answered screaming like a banshee and collapsed. The police came to our residence and found both Aaron and I unmoving in the bedroom. I had been found sprawled out on the floor unconscious, while Aaron's fate had not been so lucky. An autopsy report confirmed that the death was asphyxiation from the phone that had completely blocked her airways. The toxicology report determined that she had no traces of drugs or alcohol in her system. I was questioned by the same detectives from our last case, and could sense they believed that I was somehow involved. However, this theory never came to light as I had a rock-solid alibi for Aaron's time of death. The coroner had reported her time of death to be around midnight, five days prior to when I had discovered the body. I had been at my boss's house at that time, and the entire household could vouch for my whereabouts down to the minute. The police confirmed 
the incident was considered foul play due to the fact that both of the victim's hands had been smashed beyond recognition prior to her suffocation. Beyond weary, I hardly listened as I was filled in on other details of the case. They concluded their speech by reiterating that the investigation was ongoing. I brought up a single point before they retreated from my hospital room. The text message I received, which had prompted my return back to the house, they verified that the message I got was sent with Aaron's phone from our location and there was no evidence the device had been tampered with since the murder occurred. But, in the end, the professional investigators could not explain why I had received a text from Aaron's phone three days after it had been used to kill her. Thanks for listening. And I wanted to end tonight by thanking some of you who have been so kind as to spread the word about Scare You to Sleep and interact with me on social media. On Instagram, I did a very random AMA last Saturday and so many of you participated. Seriously, I could not believe how many questions I got. I was blown away. Uh, it was amazing. I can't wait to do one again. And over on Twitter, I wanted to name a few of you who have been tweeting about the show, like Princess Spooky Puss, BJ Sherwood, No Life Queen, Brittany Bond, M. Guerra 78628. <laughs> Those are just to name a few. Seriously, it means so much to me when I get to interact with you and just, you know, have conversations and share you know, likes and dislikes and just talk about stuff. It's just so much fun. And so if you want to participate in things like that, you can follow the show on Twitter at scare you to sleep, uh, Instagram also at scare you to sleep. You can join the Facebook group. I'll leave a link to all of those in the show notes. There's a Reddit page that I have to be honest. I have not checked in a long time. I kind of put it up for everyone to go to because I know Reddit is a little more anonymous so some of you might feel more comfortable you know talking over there and I don't check it very often so it's not as you know immediate reactions you might have some feelings and thoughts you want to share that you want to keep your identity quiet or you don't want me to know it's you or you know I don't know that's what Reddit's for um there's a Tumblr page that all it does I don't even know if it does it anymore it was just kind of announcing each new episode and I don't think it's connected anymore um, so yeah, I will leave a link to at least to Twitter, Instagram, and the Facebook page, because those are the ones that I participate in. You can feel free to ta participate in the other ones. I just, you know, everyone's brain only has so much room for social media. So those are the three I kind of stick to. Um, I think that's all. I don't think I have any announcements. Oh, I will be doing, I put up on Facebook. Uh, in the group about I'm going to be doing an Edgar Allan Poe episode soon. I have been getting a lot of requests for that over the different platforms over the years. Um, I did do one Edgar Allan Poe story. I did the Cask of Amontillado 
on Patreon back in the day, so I might just release that one eventually in the future since I've already read it, um, just as it was released on Patreon. And so yeah, if you want to join the Facebook group, or if you don't feel like joining Facebook, which is totally understandable, shoot me a message, tell me what your favorite Edgar Allan Poe story is. Um, I haven't decided yet if I want to do, you know, the classics like The Raven or some that are a little less well-known. Not well-known, I'm sure everyone knows about them, but you know, like The Mask of Red Death is one that I don't see as many people covering. Um, so yeah, just let me know. All right, uh, well, go drink some water, go get some sleep, and sweet dreams.